outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today's episode is all about shed dogs and how to train them. Today's show is all about a topic that people seem to love, shed dogs. I think a lot of them love the idea of a dog that can find shed antlers, but it probably won't greatly change the amount of sheds you find. It's still fun, and if you do have a shed dog, you'll become a better deer hunter, which might seem crazy, but I'll explain what I mean throughout this episode. The first dog that I trained to be a shed antler dog was my golden retriever, Lux. She was an okay hunting dog, but simply loved to retrieve. In fact, I trained her to retrieve antlers, ducks, upland birds, squirrels, and eventually rabbits. And now I know you're not supposed to take a pheasant dog and let it retrieve a rabbit, but I did it anyway. And it taught me a couple of things. The first is that not all rules apply to all situations, obviously. But also that a lot of the rabbits we shot at with shotguns would make it into a brush pile and then die. The dog would slither in there and retrieve them, and it was an eye-opener. This happened quite a bit with snowshoe hares, too. But anyway, back to shed dogs. Lux was a good shed dog, and she found a few. When she died, I trained my next pup to find sheds, and it was a glorious day when she brought me a little three-point side for the first time while my wife and I were hiking through a local park by the house. That dog, Luna, is still a shed hunter, but I've learned that the best retriever out there will only take you so far with sheds if your personal shed hunting situation kind of sucks, which mine does. Dogs do find antlers we don't, or I should say dogs will find antlers we won't, which is the whole point. But there are other benefits to training a shed dog, and I'll get into that at the end of this show. For now, I just want to go through a little bit of the process. So for starters, any dog could theoretically be a shed dog. 
if you've got a dog that will retrieve something, you've got much of the problem licked. Of course, hunting breeds tend to be more popular for a couple reasons. The first is that many of them are bred to retrieve, and we expect and encourage that behavior out of them. The second is that if you buy a hunting dog for hunting, you're a hell of a lot more likely to care about deer antlers than a soccer mom in San Francisco with a French bulldog in her arms. The key to a shed dog is the desire to retrieve. If you have a dog that loves to bring you stuff, your task is going to be pretty easy. If you have a dog that is lukewarm on retrieving, antlers might be a bridge too far. It's worth a shot, though, either way. Now, the thing with shed antlers is that they differ from everything else that we hunt with our dogs, or probably just about everything else, in that they don't really give off any scent. They give off a little. But a living, breathing pheasant gives off a ton of scent. Little quail, too. Ducks, grouse, prairie chickens, whatever. If it's alive now or was very recently alive and it has feathers, you can bet that it's giving off scent that is orders of magnitude greater than a chunk of bone that fell off a buck's head six weeks ago. Now, there is a waxy substance at the base of really freshly cast antlers that the dogs can undoubtedly smell. If you want to try to mimic this, Doc and Dog Supply sells something called Rack Wax. And here's a fun fact for you. The golden retriever in the photo on the package of Rack Wax is Lux, my old dog. The fingers in the photo belong to my wife, who on that day of that photo shoot hit me square in the nuts with an antler that she threw from 30 feet away. The five photos I shot of that antler flying my way in the air while squatting down like a catcher in a baseball game show her face going from surprise to shit-eating grin as she realized she's about to ten-ring my apple bag and drop me right to the ground, which is exactly what happened. You can use rack wax to teach your dog to key in on the smell of an antler, much like you would with a bumper or a dummy. The catch here is that the dog is far more likely to key in on the smell of your hands than anything. So if you want to do it right, the best way I found was to throw a couple antlers and some gloves in a tote with an ozone unit. After that, try not to touch the antler with your bare hands while applying rack wax and tossing the antler into the grass. Trust me, this exercise is an eye-opener in dog-scenting abilities. It's also an eye-opener if you consider a deer to have similar olfactory abilities, which I personally do. A dog that runs downwind of an antler you touched will smell it without trouble. Trust me. That same dog downwind of an antler that has been bathed in ozone will be a different story. They'll miss it every time if you do your job right and until you add some scent to it. That experience tells me that while most hunting situations with dogs involve heavy nose work, shed hunting isn't one of them. It's more of a visual task. Now, I'm not saying they don't use their noses, but they use their eyes a lot. This is something I didn't really understand fully when I trained my first dog. I couldn't figure out why she would run way out into the field to look at a styrofoam cup or some other light-colored piece of garbage. What she had learned was that antlers are light-colored, and if she caught a glimpse of something similar in tone that didn't quite seem to belong in the woods or in the fields, she was going to go over there and investigate. Dokken, who is one of the best dog trainers on the planet, is well aware of this, which is why he developed oversized antler silhouettes to train with. These larger-than-life cardboard cutouts provide a visual clue 
to beginner shed dogs that there is an antler right here or you know, sometimes a bumper or some other reward. It gets them to, to connect the look of an antler, tines, the, the shape to some kind of reward. Mark that good behavior. Kind of like a, I don't know, a neon bar sign in downtown Memphis or maybe the golden arches glowing along an interstate after a 50-mile stretch of nothing but prairie. It gets your attention if you're so inclined to look for such things and you're in the right mood. When it comes to shed antlers, dogs just need to learn to look for them. They do this by first being introduced to antlers as a toy that can just be tossed and retrieved. For this intro work, a little antler that is dull is the ticket. You don't want to take your five-month-old pup out and toss a 24-pound moose antler, obviously, but you also don't want that little pupster to chase a nice whitetail shed and get poked right in the eye when it goes to grab it. That is not good intro work, my friends. Negative associations that happen with intro work like that can be devastating. If you don't believe that, ask someone who has had the unfortunate task of trying to train out gun shyness or water shyness in a dog. This usually lives in a world of damn close to impossible. When there is a positive association attached to something like an antler, you can start to work in varied environments to make it a little more like a hunt. I like to start off in the grass of a soccer or baseball field, which may or may not be covered in four feet of snow right now, depending on where you live. The key is to make it easy at first. However, you have to do that. Maybe that's in the house. The dog should be able to see the antler from where you start him. And when he brings it back, it's time to throw a little praise party. You want the dog to think that bringing you an antler is the next best thing to dying and going to doggy heaven. You also want to add a command into the mix so the dog knows when it's time to start looking for antlers or, I don't know, to find the bone, which is the command I use. I don't want anything that will conflict with my bird hunting commands. So this can be co totally catered to your situation. If you use find the bird as a as a way to get your dog to get into the upland hunting mode, then find the bone might be too close. Whatever you choose, use it as a prompt in your early training drills where you ensure easy success. And this is important and a staple of all good dog training, but don't overdrive your headlights. We often think, well, if the dog can find an antler in the living room or the backyard really easily, I need to make it difficult and really teach them how to hunt. But that's a bad idea. Dogs are great at learning through repetition and baby steps, which is how you should approach shed dog training. For example, if your dog absolutely makes the connection between your shed hunting command and running out to pick an antler up out of the yard, it's probably time to move into a little thicker habitat. Instead of mowed grass, move to grass that is maybe six inches tall. Your goal is to ramp up the difficulty ever so slightly when you know your dog has whatever level you're at just totally nailed. Then you know it's time to move up into a situation where your dog just has to work a tiny bit harder for success, but there will always be success there. Remember that. Eventually, you can descent antlers and start planting them in more real-world situations, like in a picked bean field or under a pine tree at a nearby park. What you want the dog to do is think this is a game where they get excited when you give them their shed hunting command. You want them to start actively searching. 
and showing you through their body language that they are into it. This means you're closer to having a shed dog and can probably head out and start actually shed hunting. But when you do, make sure you bring some antlers with you. You don't want your dog to be unsuccessful at any time when you could change that outcome by simply tossing a few antlers throughout the day while your dog is looking the other way. And side note, this is a great move for little kids too. Eventually, with enough training, your dog will start to contribute to the yearly take. But this is a moment where I need to be real honest. I am friends with some of the best shed dog trainers in the world, arguably probably the best. And they are adamant that the amount of antlers a good dog will contribute pales in comparison to a human shed hunter. Dogs do cover a lot of ground and they do find some sheds, but you're not at a net loss at any time with a good shed dog. They aren't antler vacuums crossing the countryside and finding tons of sheds that you never find your, on your own, however. That's just not how it works. Shed dogs and their antler production are also directly commensurate to the amount of sheds you'd likely find on a given year. So let's say you shed hunt kind of hard and you average six antlers per season. This is pretty common in the world of pressured deer. In that case, a good shed dog might find one or two antlers that you just wouldn't, maybe three. I know that's not great, but it's not nothing either. And the real best part of this all, the part that I alluded to way back in the intro, is that having a shed dog gets you out there more. Training a dog to find antlers doesn't take away from their bird hunting abilities in any way. It just adds to their repertoire. And what that means is that while pheasant or grouse season might be over, you can still keep hunting, quote unquote, with your dog for a few more months. That's good for you. And it's good for your dog. But it's good for you specifically as a deer hunter. Really good. I know for a fact that training my bird dogs to hunt antlers has gotten me out more throughout the winter months when there isn't a whole hell of a lot to do besides ice fish or binge Netflix or whatever. There is a whole world of whitetails out there and some of them are losing their headgear right now. Some of them live in parks. Some of them live on private land and some of them live on public land. Whatever the case may be near you and whatever land you have access to, spending time in the woods in the winter will make you a better hunter. If that takes a Labrador retriever with some shed antler training under his belt, so be it. I know personally that I probably shed hunt, I don't know, twice as much as I would without a dog because I like, I don't know, spending time in the woods with my dogs. It's that simple. They want to go always, which makes me want to go. Dogs are kind of like making a gym buddy to lift with who is always enthusiastic about picking up heavy stuff and putting it down. You might not really need the motivation or you might. But either way, it's nice when it swoops into your life. With shed dogs, the desire to get out there more is real. That means you'll cover more miles in search of antlers. But it might also take you to new spots. It might take you through the public land 20 minutes from your house that you don't really hunt because every morning of the season, as you drive past it to go to work, you see a couple trucks parked in the parking lot. The dog doesn't know that and the dog doesn't care. It just wants to be out in the woods with you. That motivation can get you to understand a spot you've written off, and it can get you into areas of a spot like that that get your whitetail gears turning. Following a dog for miles throughout the winter will take you to places you normally wouldn't go to shed hunt or winter scout, and that means you're seeing in person 
spots that you wouldn't have otherwise. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of times in my life where I found just one fence crossing or one big corner post rub or something out in the deer woods that changed my whole thinking on a state or a specific parcel. And that's not nothing, my friends. And however you have to go about putting yourself in a position to make those discoveries, so be it. Maybe you're already super motivated and you winter scout 50 days a year, but maybe not. Maybe you don't winter scout much, kind of like shed hunting, and are mostly afflicted by cabin fever. And maybe, I don't know, you got a hunting dog or a sporting dog or a working dog sitting there in your house. Or just some random good dog that likes to retrieve sticks. If so, the ingredients are all there for you to change the course of your off-season, which can also change the course of your hunting season. And if it doesn't, well, you spend some time with your dog training, which is good. And then you spend some time in the woods with your four-legged best friend, which is good too. Maybe you find an extra antler, few antlers, maybe not. Maybe you just find a banging public land hotspot that you've always overlooked, or maybe not. But it's worth trying if you have the dog and the means to do so. That's it for this week, my friends. My name is Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. Next week, I'm kicking off a couple episodes on winter scouting, so be sure to tune in. And if you're not getting enough whitetail content in your daily diet, make sure to check out our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel or visit themeateater.com slash wired. I promise you those two resources will keep you busy consuming tons of whitetail goodness. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your support. We really appreciate it. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.